Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, it's Anna. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to study the power that food can have on our health. When I started practicing as a nutritional therapist a decade ago, I realized that what is just as important is the relationship that we have with food. This is very often a mirror for the relationship we have with ourselves. Through my own personal journey and health challenges, I was forced to dig deeper and understand things that go beyond just our physical bodies. I learned the importance of working with the whole person to create a balanced body, mind, heart, and soul. I'm now passionate about using my diverse toolbox to help women slow down, take better care of themselves, and ultimately cultivate a life which is a reflection of self-love. If you feel like this is speaking to you, I created a 43-page guide, Nine Steps to Love, Nourish, and Connect with Your Body to create an energized life with a happy heart and soul. You can download it for free and join my Grounded Goddess community for even more inspiration by visiting groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps, S-T-E-P-S. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the community. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kombucha and Color. Today, I'm interviewing my yoga bestie, Shay. She's just got back from doing her, is it postnatal pregnancy? Prenatal, postnatal, and baby massage. There we go. She's just done one of those (laughs) courses over the past week. So it's actually been 10 days since Shay and I last spoke to one another because we mixed up the podcast schedule just because of her course and various things which are going on. So it feels like ages since we've spoken. But today we thought we would do an episode looking a little bit about the pregnant body, Shay sharing a little bit about what she learned on her course. And I'm going to be sprinkling a little bit of nutritional dust in amongst everything. I love it when you sprinkle nutritional dust into everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's like sparkly unicorn rainbows. Exactly. nutrients, colorful <laughs> dust. Yeah. So I've just, as Anna said, thank you for that. As Anna said, I've just completed my prenatal, postnatal and baby yoga and massage course with Katie Appleton. And I really love the training. It was a really thorough training and I love the inclusion of Pilates pods into the postnatal section and just also the baby massage was just such a wonderful thing because it's something that is so different from anything else that I've done before and what a wonderful gift to be able to give new mothers and just following a woman's journey through this really transformational time in her life and I've just realized how incredible it is to be able to support women in this way and in this capacity throughout this transitional phase. And 
how wonderful to be able to create a space where there can be community, where there can be support, where there can be space for nourishment and healing and just generally being able to nurture and mother the mother, which I think is something that we tend to forget as women become mothers, then the whole focus goes onto the baby. But can you also create a space where mothers too are also nourished and nurtured? So that was one of the big takeaways that I took from it. But I just wanted to share a little bit of what the course has made for me and some interesting things that were a little bit of light bulb moments for me. So if you are pregnant or hoping to be pregnant, or maybe you are thinking about it in your future, this might be a really interesting episode for you to listen to. And especially if you are wanting to support your body and your mind and prepare for the birth process. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> One of the things that really came up for me on this whole training was how amazingly incredible women's bodies are. Like we take for granted how phenomenal the female body is. Like it's truly, truly remarkable. Like not only are we growing a human, which is in itself a miracle, but there's so much other stuff that goes on within the body. Like even the simple facts of women grow a new organ, they grow a placenta throughout pregnancy. So you, you never think of, wow, I'm, I'm, imagine like a man just decided, I'm going to grow an extra kidney. <laughs> like, it's just this phenomenal process that a woman undergoes and it's a physiological event, this birth and, and labor and pregnancy. It's something that will happen within the body without you having to put too much conscious thought in it. So it's just such a really empowering process that a woman can move through. And that's not to say that you are less of a woman if you choose not to fall pregnant or you can't fall pregnant for any reason. And we've spoken on the show before to someone who's been through a really tough time of having miscarriages. So it's not to discount those stories at all, but it's just offering this other viewpoint as well. So that's been my experience over the last few days. Yeah, that's amazing. And tell us a little bit more about like, what were the highlights? What were the key things that you learned that you want to share? I think before the course started, we had to read two books. And one of the books is What Mothers Do by Naomi Stadlin. And the actual, the subtitle of this book is What Mothers Do, Especially When It Looks Like Nothing. And it was such an interesting read on this topic of motherhood and particularly this huge identity shift that women go through in order to transition into becoming a mother. And so much of this book was around this idea that there's so much that goes on within a mother's day, but there's not enough language to be able to describe or detail what it is exactly that they are doing. So there's a lot of attuning that happens, attuning of your energy to your baby's energy, attuning to different cycles, attuning to the baby in terms of what its needs are. There's intuition that comes up into it. There's trusting. There's, a, there's a, so much that goes on that at the end of the day, you can feel quite energetically exhausted, but you don't really have anything that you can label on, well, this is what I did to make me exhausted, or this is what I did in my day. And it can kind of feel a little bit overwhelming for women because they don't have these words to be able to describe what it is that they are doing. And especially if they've come from a job or an occupation where their identity has been largely described by the things that they are 
doing, when they arrive in motherhood, there's nothing to be done, but they're still feeling this exhaustion, this overwhelm, and they don't have anything to be able to pin their identity on this in the sense of doing. So it's really an interesting read from that perspective. And I know that there were lots of women and mothers, particularly on the course that said they'd really wished that they had read this book um, before they had fallen pregnant, just it would give them a better overview of what to expect emotionally, what to expect energetically. And the book is written in a very unbiased perspective. So she interviews loads and loads of different mothers with their different experiences. And she transcribes the book and their interviews without using any of the mother's names or their baby's names. So really it could be any mother with a five-month-old baby or any mother with a six-month-old boy or whatever it is. And I think that makes it really relevant to mothers because they realize that their experience is a shared experience, that it could be any one of them that was saying these things and feeling these things. And it really creates a sense of support and community. So that is a really great read for anyone who is prenatal, postnatal, or you know, any stage of the motherhood journey, if that is your path. So yeah, this identity shift was such a big part of this mothering journey. And what's so interesting is that the identity from a yoga perspective is connected to our third chakra. So Manipura chakra, which is at the navel, or maybe the solar plexus, depending on your school of thought, but you know, it's really a dynamic space of energy. So it's sending around the body, all different spheres, it's front, back and sides. But if we think about it connected to the navel and it's our sense of identity, when a mother is pregnant and her navel literally is expanding, that is the process in her life when she is having to expand her identity from the I and transition it into the we. So I thought that was such a beautiful reference to this needing to expand this identity. And I think once you can, I mean, I don't think anyone can ever prepare you for that complete shift in identity, but once you can really get your head around that shift in identity, I think it can ready you for motherhood in a new way or a way that maybe you hadn't realized that you needed to be ready for before. So yeah, we speak in the show a lot about this identity shift and what can happen when you feel like you have a completely new identity from the one that you had before and how unsettling that can be. So there is this process of transition and that's why having a yoga practice, whether it's prenatal or postnatal can really help to ground you and make you feel steady in that time of change or transition. Yeah. Whenever we talk about identity, I always think of the big tick, which is it forms the foundation of the Grounded Goddess program that I ran. And it was talked to me by um, Steve Linder, who I did a training with last year. And one of the things he always says is um, we create an identity shift when our life conditions become greater than our mind conditions. Ultimately, like the mind has to catch up because of the external circumstances. And I think when a woman gives birth, obviously, you know, the body is changing and life conditions are changing throughout the pregnancy because so much is happening in your body and what you can and can't do and how you feel inside. But definitely when you give birth, life just changes in a way that I think, especially maybe for someone like you or I, who've never had a child, 
yet you cannot even imagine until until you actually get to that point is something that you can only really ever understand through experience and then that forces you to change your mind conditions because you have no choice but I think the transition is at least in the way that I teach with my clients is that to have some idea of like even before you fall pregnant or before you give birth to have some sort of sense of self in the sense that you know what are your values like so when you're raising a child what are the values what are the guiding principles that will that are going to help you to become the the mom that you want to be or what are your needs and what are your belief systems and i think that's what yoga gives us yoga gives us the space to ground ourselves and to become aware of ourselves in a way that we start to understand our needs our values our wants our desires our thoughts and the transition in that identity shift becomes is, is so much easier when we have those tools to work with than if we're just going into completely blind and have no um, sort of sense of structure in which we can channel that energy of change. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that identity shift is so challenging, I think, in the postnatal period, because there's also this sense of, I don't want to lose myself. You still want to have that, that piece of your old self, but it's about learning to integrate that old self with this new normal, with this new self. And I think that's this potential struggle that can come around of, of wanting to still be yourself, but now you're also taking on this role of mother and it's just a complete like life spin around. So yeah, it's just a very interesting conversation. And the more that you talk to mothers and you talk to people who are on this journey, you realize that no two motherhood journeys are the same, but at the same time, they are also very, very similar. So it's just this beautiful network and support community that motherhood brings you, I think is really something that is, should be celebrated is, is what I feel. When I was on my yin training, Annie, who, who I think we're going to interview eventually on the show, um, she said to us, like having a child is the ultimate spiritual practice is um, it, it teaches you so much about yourself. Mm. And something that was very interesting, which came up in, in talking about it from a yoga perspective and this energetic field that we have or and this aura. So the way that it was explained to me on this training is that you've got this earth energy, which is rising up from the ground and you've got this consciousness energy, which is coming down from above and where it kind of, or kind of compounds within you through you as a person, it, it kind of bulges out through the chakras and it creates this auric field around you. And that auric field, when you are pregnant, obviously you are housing this energy of this baby inside you. And when you're, auric or energy field is weakened or depleted, or it's not as kind of bouncy. Like you want to be able, someone, someone should be able to throw a hurtful comment at you and it kind of just bounces off your energy field. You know, it just like, doesn't like, of course it has impact, but it won't actually like be absorbed and you're not like porous to all this external stuff. So when your auric field is depleted, like those comments, those things can just kind of come at you. So having this like bouncy ball of golden egg ray around you is really, really important. And when we are giving birth, we have this split in the auric field. And it's the only time ever that we have this split in the auric field when we actually have to kind of pass a baby down into back into the earth and you have this split. And so that's why those peri that period of time after birth is really about 
nourishing the mother, reestablishing that energetic field, reestablishing that aura. So repleting the mother rather than depleting the mother. And that's where, you know, messaging and languaging is so important. And the mother feeling like she has time and space to rest, relax, and not feel rushed to get back to her body and get back to all these things, but really just give her an opportunity to restore and nourish herself. Because as we know, good food and good nourishment helps to bolster that energetic field around us. Meditation helps to bolster that energetic field. Rest and restorative practices helps to bolster that energetic field. Breath work. So even if you are a mother and you feel like there's nothing that I can do that can help just energize me while you are feeding your baby, you can 100% do some deep breathing, focus on that prana, that breath that's coming into your body. And that is a really useful tool to be able to nourish your body energetically, in, especially in that postnatal, early postnatal period. Again, when I was doing Annie's yin course, she's Chinese. And she said in China, the mom's responsibility is to look after the baby you know, because that's what moms do, right? You have to feed it and all of that. And then she said, and then the family's responsibility is to look after the mom. Mm. So it's like everybody rallies around the mom so that she can get that nourishment to restore. And because ultimately the nourishment passes through the mom to the child. And if she is energetically and physiologically in a good place, that is like a felt response as well, I assume, between mother and child. And I, I just love that. And I remember that I think Lulu said when we interviewed her on the show about like how it does take a village to raise a child. And it's, I think I read something on her Instagram at one point in time about like how you know, you just need people who can come and help and bring food and help with meals and just, you know, get all those things you don't even think about that you'll need until you're actually in that situation and you realize how difficult it is sometimes to to just get food in as a mom. Mm. So Lulu, um, Lulu Johnson Becker, Lulu Becker is the pelvic floor physio. And I've actually mentioned her a lot during this training. And I really feel so privileged to be one of her good friends and I've worked a lot with her in creating sort of postnatal cards that she gives out to her clients and it's really affirmed to me how much of this information I actually do subconsciously know and have within me and it's been a conversation that I've had with her for years now and there's a lot of stuff that came up in the training like, oh, but that's how I teach already or that's kind of what I, you know, that's those are things that I know and it, what, nothing was super like, wow, that's a complete surprise to me. But to have that background information has been really, really valuable in moving into this course. And if you are interested, Lulu's episode is one of the first episodes that we interviewed her. So go and take a listen to that if you are wanting to have a pelvic floor, women's health pelvic floor some information about pregnancy and postnatal body with that. But in another book that we were required to read before this training, and this goes onto your idea of nourishing the mother, this book is called Bountiful, Beautiful, Blissful, and it's by Gurmka, I think is the, is the guru's name. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly, but she recommends that, or in their tradition, that they have 40 days, it's 40 or 40 40 or 42, I can't remember, but 40 days postnatally that they have this period where it's just resting. And as, as you say, everyone is just supporting and they kind of stay inside and, and don't do anything other than just 
rest, nourish the baby. And as you say, everyone else must support and nourish the mother. So I thought that was so beautiful. And so many women don't give themselves that opportunity to to rest and be still because we have this pressure that's like, oh, we must get back to it and we must do all these things. And then we go and overdo it by leaping ourselves into physical activity that the body is not internally ready to take on. So when the internal integration is not there and the internal strength is not knitted back together and suddenly we put all this external load onto the system, it can create lots of problems down the line. So Number one tip, if you're in the postnatal, don't rush back into it. Make sure that you integrate everything and you build the strength from the inside out before you put yourself into super external load on the system. So be very mindful of that if you are postnatal on that on that recovery journey. Just out of interest, what did um, your yin teacher say about pregnancy and yin? Did she mention anything? So it wasn't really covered so much in the course because it wasn't such a, it wasn't a yin specific course. Obviously we know when a woman is pregnant, the the hormonal profile changes and that creates more elasticity in the joints, which means they're, they're potentially more open. And especially I would assume for people who are hypermobile or don't necessarily have a lot of muscular strength that can create problems and make people more prone to injury. So I think if someone has a yin practice already prior to falling pregnant and they they know their body and they're using yin more so for relaxation, calming the nervous system, getting into that parasympathetic nervous system, and they know how to support the body with props as well in a very healthy way, then it would be an okay thing to do. But I think for like a new mom, because, you know, one of the things I did say is very often you go to the doctor and the doctor will be like, oh, you should do some yoga. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there are so many different types of yoga, right? And then someone will say, oh, but yin yoga is like really gentle. It won't stress your body out. And then you go to a yin yoga class and it's actually just creating so much opening without giving you any stability. And so it's not the most appropriate thing for somebody to start up new I think if they were yeah and that that conversation came up within our training as well and there was actually a forum feed that went on in the group discussion about it and it is you know everything with pregnancy is a very case-by-case scenario and one mother might feel wonderful doing this one mother might really not feel doing it but there are definite concern or concerns the wrong word but there are definite things that you need to be mindful of and especially what you're talking about is that relaxing hormone which destabilizes the joints which you need in pregnancy in order for the things to expand and be able to make space for that baby but then also know that that is destabilizing your joints so there's a little bit of cartilage that makes up the front of the pubic bone and that can really be destabilized during pregnancy as the pelvis starts to widen and if you get you know coming into postures where you have wide legged folds especially that can really be destabilizing for this front joining of the pubic bone. So you need to be mindful of that and you need to build on practices that really can help find stability for the body. So you feel like you are drawing everything into the body rather than splaying everything outwards. So yeah, that's something that is really important within a prenatal yoga setting that you have stability within the body to create strength and support. And also then it builds that sense of endurance that you can withstand sensation for when you're moving into labor and when you're moving through those sensations of labor. So it is, I think, really important to find a prenatal specific yoga practice unless of course you are 
already a yoga practitioner and you feel comfortable and the teacher that you practice with is comfortable to have you in their regular class and you can of course continue with your regular yoga there are some precautions that you need to be mindful of you know breath retention is not something that's recommended anytime that you're having super super deep deep intense twists you can have twists in the body but it's not super deep and it's not super intense and I think just in any case you need to be mindful that this is a time when you are growing a new life so are you favoring taking your energy resources to really tiring out the muscles or are you providing space and opportunity for that energy and those energy resources to go to the development of your baby so there's lots to think about in terms of how you support your body but of course we want to build in practices that can help um, support that parasympathetic nervous system so that we can use that as a tool not only for labor and moving through that process but in order for us to be effective mothers, we need to be able to access our own state of calm, which comes through activation of the parasympathetic nervous system in order to be able to mother effectively. Because when you are crazy going wild and things are just spinning out of control, it's a lot more challenging than if you are centered, calmed and grounded. Each week we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Color. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or kombucha and color will send you a wonderful restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over a hundred pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28 day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way. One of the, you know, Katie, the trainer was I really, really enjoyed her, her teaching. One of the phrases that she used was this idea of down-regulating the nervous system. And I really loved that concept of nervous system down-regulation. And I was thinking, you know, if I was to put this in my language, how would I explain this to women who've maybe never heard of it or people in my yoga class? And what I've uh, come up with this analogy of using it as a car. So if you are driving a car, 
And although in London, not many people drive cars, so I hope you can get this analogy, but when you're driving a car, you can take this car all the way up into fifth gear, which allows the car to move really, really fast. But it's also the car feels a lot looser. There's a lot more space in the car and it, it's a lot more easy for it to spin out of control because of that looseness that you feel in the car. When you can take the car down a gear, down a gear, down a gear to first gear, the car is only able to move a lot slower but everything within the car is a lot more contained. It feels a lot more controlled. And of course, we can't all m drive around in first gear all the time because that would drive everybody bananas. But having that ability to bring that car down into first gear where everything's a little bit more controlled, it's a little bit more safer. It feels like we're not as susceptible to spin out into anxiety, stress, and worry. And then maybe even we get to a point where the car becomes so still that we can actually just turn off the engine and sit in that stillness. And that is where we find this, this reaching of, of real yoga, where we found this ability to really be present and calm rather than just go, 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 go. So that is something that's a really useful tool for mothers, especially if you've never had a yoga practice before, to be able to find that, especially within the postnatal or prenatal setting. I'd like to add to your analogy as well. Yes. Because <laughs> this, this is something that I use often when I'm working with my clients is, if you've ever been on a long journey, like in growing up in South Africa, you know, like places are far apart. So, you know, everybody drives from A to B and then you have your sort of national roads. But then I always remember in Grahamstown where I grew up, like you have the national road and then like you literally turn off the national road and you're in the sort of streets of the town. It all happens very quick. And so there's this, it's so weird when you've been going I have to talk in kilometers because I don't really get the miles, but you've been going like 120 kilometers per hour and now you're going to go like 60. And then that contrast between going so fast and then suddenly going so slow, you feel like you're going so slow because you've been, you've, when we've been going so fast and doing so much for so long, to do less at first can often feel awkward. It can feel weird. That's where people sometimes start to feel guilty. They start to get agitated. They feel like they should be doing more. And part of it is just that reconditioning, like learning to sit with those slower speeds and just allow yourself to get used to them as you start to move towards this parasympathetic balance. Mm. And if you think of that from a prenatal setting, I know like a lot of first time mothers that I've spoken to, they go on to their maternity leave and maybe they've got a few weeks before the birth comes and suddenly they, they want to fill their days with, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to paint this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to take this course and I'm going to do this workshop. And it's that that's idea of needing to fill that time because of that exact slowing down. Well, I can't just sit and do nothing. <laughs> like I need to be doing something. So yeah, there is a process of that definitely like bringing, bringing the car back down. It's, it's an adjustment period for sure. I wanted to speak about the physiology of birth because this was something that was just so wonderfully explained in this course and just how it's such a natural process for us as women to move through and just some of the hormones and the phases that that are present in a physiological birth. So I'm sure you have heard of this hormone oxytocin, Anna for sure. The and bonding do you, hormone. The bonding hormone. Mm. Do you know what oxytocin, the origin of the word means? No, you tell me. Teach me something new. <laughs> Oxytocin is translated from, from Greek and it means quick birth. 
Wow. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? So oxytocin, we know is like the bonding hormone, the love drug, the love hormone that's present in our system when we have skin to skin contact, or we feel those sense of euphoria, that love high when we infatuated with somebody. And that is what helps to kickstart labor. And they found that the, the more presence of oxytocin, the quicker and smoother the labor process is. So you have this latent phase of the birth physiology and the birth process. And that's really when maybe contraction starts. And you see in the movies that oh, everybody's labor starts with the water breaking. And that's when the amniotic fluid comes out. And, you know, it's this big dramatic thing. But really only one in eight births actually start like that. Whereas most begin with contractions of some sort. And contractions really just about the uterus contracting and that muscular contraction or surge that helps to bring the baby in a more optimal birthing position. So when muscles contracting, we have endorphins, which is what's released if you think about you go for a run and you have these endorphins in the body. And also endorphin is also translated as the morphine within, so endomorphine. So it's this pain reliever, which is present, especially when the uterus is contracting, so muscles are working. So you get this endorphin or beta endorphin high that comes into the body, which is necessary for when you're moving into childbirth because that's part of your pain regulation system. So we've got these two hormones that kind of help with regulating what's going on in the body during labor. But you have this latent phase where you, it's really important for you to be getting nourishment, to be hydrating the body because if the body is not hydrated, then the uterus can't function as a muscle because muscle needs that hydration in order to be able to work optimally. So really important to have your snacks, have your water, and that's the, the job of your birthing partner, your friend, your partner, whoever needs to be able to give you that support and all the snacks and the food that you need. And um, they likened this to, you know, the primitive cave woman day. And we all have this primitive brain, which is um, associated with the pituitary gland. So it's our ability to survive and all mammals have this. So if you think back to this um, mammalian brain that we have, that we need to kind of get everything safe and it's just being cave woman style would be off at this stage, going and searching for food and foraging in the wherever she was going to find her berries and her nuts and gathering her food. And that would be, you know, contractions happening, but she's still foraging for food. And then around five centimeters in dilation, there's this kick of adrenaline. And that adrenaline is something that is part of our flight or flight response. And that can bring us into the intelligent brain. So that is the neocortex part of the brain, which is the brain's intelligence. But when we have this adrenaline, it can inhibit oxytocin and it can inhibit those endorphins. And that then can slow labor down. So Whilst this adrenaline is really important, if you think about it from a caveman perspective, if a woman is out foraging because she's now realizing, okay, labor's coming, I need to hydrate myself, I need to eat, and this adrenaline comes, okay, adrenaline makes you in that flight or flight response, okay, I need to get back to my cave. Like, off the woman, cave woman runs back to, or not, not runs, but... <laughs> models <laughs> in her pregnancy model back to the cave because there's that hit of adrenaline that's like, I need to be safe. I need to be secure. So goes back to 
cave where she's safe, secure, and continues on with this labor process because we know that light has a stimulating effect on this neocortex, the intelligent part of the brain. So being in a dark cave brings you back into that primitive brain. So then that allows the oxytocin and the endorphins to kind of be re um, ignited within the body. And as a woman goes on through the slaver, then maybe gets to 10 centimeters, which again is another little shot of this adrenaline that can kick in. And this adrenaline, or especially at the five centimeter mark, this adrenaline like hit really only lasts for about an hour. So if you can keep reminding yourself that, you know, this is part of the process of it's, it's usual for me to feel a bit afraid here or feeling like I can't do this and I want to run away and give me the drugs. And like, I just, I really can't do this. Like, that's part of this process of our mammalian brain just checking if everything's okay for this baby to come. And at 10 centimeters, you get that adrenaline again because, okay, now something is going to happen. So it puts the woman again back in that high alert brain, like, is this safe? Is this secure? Is this the right opportunity for this baby to come? So it's just amazing. Like when you think of how this all works together, it's absolutely phenomenal. Like you go through all these different emotions and through these in different hormones within the body for very specific reasons. And then after that, you enter into this second phase of, or kind of the second stage of labor where it's really active labor where you are maybe pushing the baby or breathing the baby out or allowing it to really like move your body and be intuitive with what your body needs in order to bring your baby safely into this world. So if you think about it from, and I'm not advocating home birth or hospital birth, whatever feels right for you. And that's something where you need to have birth preferences and not necessarily a very set structured birth plan, because if things don't go according to your plan, you may feel like you failed at some point. So just allow yourself to have preferences. And one of the things that came up, which was so empowering is have a list of how you want people to care for you. So that's a really empowering way for you to look at it rather than, oh, I need this to happen. I need this to happen. I need this to happen. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. How do you want people to interact with you? How do you want people to care for you? So if you think about this, the more that we can stay in that primitive brain, which is really going into that zone of dropping completely your ego, dropping your identity, you know, being really allowed to make the noises that you want to make, to growl, to groan, to move, to not feel like you're being observed too much. When you can stay in that, then the labor process is often a lot more quicker or a lot easier. But when you come back into that neocortex, that intelligent brain, you take yourself out of that. And one of the first things that happens when you arrive at a hospital, there's obviously bright lights, but the doctors start questioning and when was your last contraction? How long was the contraction? And suddenly you're out of that primitive primal brain and you're into this thinking of, I don't know when my last contraction was and how long was it and was it time? So if you can almost have some kind of birthing partner that will be able to almost like shield you or create a buffer between this outside world and allows you to stay in your zone, I think that would be a really, really useful thing. But obviously, there's so many different ways that women can give birth and that birth can happen. And I, even I was, I was explaining to Warren when I was, was practicing some of my baby massage techniques on him at home. And I had set, he was loving it. And I set up the lounge and I put candles on, put music on and laid out this blanket and he was lying down. And it was a really cozy, amazing space, like really warm and nourishing. And after I'd given him this massage, I was like, this is a really like nice environment to give birth. And like, what would you think? think of a home birth and he was just like you know why would you do that like there's so many things that can go wrong and there's risk and all these things and 
And I understand his fear because men can also get adrenaline through this birth process. And if you think about that from an evolutionary perspective, a man would need that adrenaline as protection. Their thing would be standing at the front of the cave and protecting the woman through this transition period while she's in the cave doing her thing. He's outside with this adrenaline ready to protect. So it all works in such beautiful harmony to be able to birth a baby into this world. But I can really understand his fears, but knowing the birth physiology and why it's important to stay in that primitive pain, it makes sense on, on a really like deep level within myself of, wow, this, this is why this is important to stay in this really safe, warm, cozy environment. But yeah, I mean, I'm not pregnant and I don't know what I will decide when that time comes, but it's just been interesting to, to really understand this from a physiological perspective and what is needed within the woman's body and what is not needed from the woman's mind in order to be able to have the most optimal birth and to have a positive birth experience rather than a perfect birth. And I think definitely what has come up is that the more empowered a woman can feel within her own labor process and with her own birth is what contributes to her feeling like she had a positive birth experience, regardless of how the birth happened in the end, but whether she felt empowered in her own decision-making and her, in her choices, which I think comes to this idea of knowing what's going on and feeling empowered to take ownership of your body and take ownership of your choice. So, yeah. And it's interesting because power is something that loops back to that fire chakra, Manipura concept of identity. So super interesting there. Yeah, yeah, it really, really is. And I wanted to ask you, because I've actually, with my own healing adventure at the moment, I've been learning a little bit more about the impact of light. So I'm curious if you would suggest or agree that women should ideally be giving birth in the dark? Not necessarily completely dark, but if you can create a space where there is soft light or there's candles, and I think obviously it's preference to preference, woman to woman, um, some women might really feel that safety comes from being in a bright light, brightly lit mm. hospital. So if a woman identifies safety with that, then that's the right environment for her. But for somebody else who feels like, okay, safe for me is candles and low lighting, then that's what you need to be aiming for. It's, it's, a woman needs to feel safe in order to give birth because physiologically that would be important and evolutionary that's what would be needed. So yeah, but I think what's so interesting and what came up for me in this course, which I hadn't really thought about it up until now, was how much the media disempowers woman and woman's bodies in this birthing process. And something that was said on the course is that, you know, you get these articles that are written online or on the internet. And I actually searched and I was like, maybe that wasn't really true. And I searched and I found this article, this newspaper report from January this year in the UK. And the title of the news report was first year medical student delivers his first baby outside Warren street tube station. So like, okay, maybe, and if you're reading that, if you listen to that, maybe you don't have any response to it. You're like, okay, wow, that's amazing. Like first year medical student delivers his first baby outside Warren Street tube station. Like, wow, well done. First year, you know. As opposed to woman gives birth. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And if you read this article, 
this medical student actually really had no idea what he was doing. He'd been in the maternity ward, maybe like from just from this reading this article, I get the sense like he happened to be at the right place. He happened to be a medical student that felt confident enough to step in. But actually the woman was the fucking one who gave birth. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's really important to not disempower women like this. Like woman gives birth, like, we've taken ownership away from it and given it to a man to deliver the baby. What was his part in that? What was his part in that? Like really like, and that has been like such a thing. Like, wow, we, we give away our power just through simple languaging that has become so subliminal in how we absorb media and how we absorb messaging. So, and there's so, there's so many other things that come up within the, the prenatal postnatal body. You have this terminology of, lazy uterus and incompetent cervix and small hips and all this languaging that very disempowering. Yeah. That tells women that they can't do this. And physiologically you can like in, I mean, there's very rare cases where maybe it's potentially not, but for the vast majority, women can birth babies and it's just like, yeah, it's a really, really like interesting, interesting languaging over maybe centuries that it's been like this, that we need to actually pay attention to, you know? So that was a really interesting thing for me. And so I'm just thinking as well as that, like the languaging, a lot of people's languaging challenges are also with the language that they're using with themselves Mm. so the first thing i think it's yes society is a problem but and the language that's generally used is a problem but we always get to choose what language we decide we want to use like with me when i talk about my health i talk about my healing adventure now which Mm. because i never wanted to associate my identity with being sick or unwell or a disease or something like that so we have this responsibility on ourselves to choose the language that we want to use mm. to empower and you know, ourselves. Yeah. And that, and that a lot of that comes down to with empowering yourself through knowledge. Obviously the internet is like a rife place where you can go down a rabbit hole, but empower yourself, talk to women, like talk to women's health physios, talk to mothers who are empowered, choose selectively who you want to get this information and this knowledge from. But even when speaking to people who are quote unquote in the authoritative position of doctors or midwives or whatever, the way that they choose to language something has a very big impact on how it's received. And they can be saying the same thing in a number of ways. So birth is a process where you are one in 200 people will die in birth or whatever. You're like, Whoa, that's like, that's quite a lot. Like, sure. That's, that's a lot. Or you can say that as, 0.5% of people, which is a completely different statistic. Well, it's the same statistic, but it's a different feeling. And so when some, when a doctor says to you, oh, your risk doubles, you go, oh my gosh, my risk is doubled. Like that's crazy. But when it's gone from half a percent to 1%, like, (laughs) you know, you have to really empower yourself with the knowledge and information that you have in order to be able to have a birth preference or birth process that you feel empowered in. And it's the empowerment is the key. And when you can have, have that experience of owning your choices, I think that creates a really positive birth experience for you. You're feeling fiery today. I'm feeling fiery. I'm feeling it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I got it to my fire. And you know what? When I went to training on the last day, there was a man, well, there was a couple of men sitting in the priority seats for women pregnant. And I was on the other side of the carriage and I had a seat and I saw these, this pregnant woman get on with the buggy and everything, which the priority seats are designed, they are right next to the exit so that women who come in with buggies who are heavily pregnant can get off and on easily without having to mission through the whole carriage. Like it's just, that's the way it's, anyway, that's the way it's designed. And I promise you, I saw this guy, this look in the eyes of this heavily pregnant woman who got on with a buggy with another child and he just stared at her. And I was like, in my brain, I was screaming at him, don't you know that this woman has 40 to 50% more fluid in her body? Like, why are you not offering your seats up to this woman? I was actually so enraged. I, I went up from the other side of the carriage, which makes no sense. This woman's going to trek through all the people to get to the seat that I'd offered her and then mission all the way back to get to her buggy when the, oh, just, just like, and she's waddling and she's so heavily pregnant. And I was just fiery. And I should have actually at that point when I got off said, just in future, these seats are reserved for women who are pregnant. So you can offer them up. Like I should have like, and if I'd been more in my fire, then I would have, but you know, it enraged me next time I really will. I will open my mouth and not be so afraid of being the non-likable one. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was really just like, yeah, God got me in my fire. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you're in your fire today. I can tell even just reliving it. Yeah. So anyway, that's my prenatal postnatal journey. And I'm I'm really looking forward to bringing this in some capacity to the woman that I can support. And I don't have any plans at this particular moment of how this is going to come up in, in my teachings and in my life, because what I've realized from this is what I want to be able to create is a really complete and full almost like a, a course or a, or something where women can really come and feel supported and nourished. And with that, for on my part, will be lots of um, making things and creating things for them to take home and to, to do for them and to have teas and all that kind of stuff. So there's still a little bit of like processing of how I'm going to bring this out um, that needs to come from me. But I'm also trusting that the right thing is going to come. And so I'm really excited to see where this goes. I'm actually teaching a a baby yoga class on, on Monday. So I'm going to take some of my baby yoga tips and tricks there, which is such a fun thing to, such a fun thing to share. But if Anna, do you want to maybe touch on any of the nutritional things that women might need to prepare themselves while I let my fire cool down. Yeah, you let your fire cool down. I think for the purpose of today's episode, I don't really want to go into too much detail just because it's like a whole podcast potentially in itself, but just to maybe redirect people back to some other resources and some of our previous episodes. So the episode with Lulu, who's the women's health physio, was episode 15. And that has actually been one of our most popular episodes. It's listening to Lulu is just amazing. And if you've always felt like after your pelvic health was a little bit boring or just something you have to do because you should, the way that Lulu talks about it will really make you so excited to book and see a women's health physio. And then we also interviewed Annie Breen on episode 43. So Annie was actually a client of mine who then went on to do her own nutritional therapy qualification. And we actually talk a little bit about the pre and postnatal nutritional pieces in, in that episode as well. But in in a nutshell, what I would just say is what I, the general advice I give to a lot of my clients is that if you are planning on falling pregnant, the best thing you can do is get healthy first. 
And that means clearing up any gut issues, any hormonal imbalances, any anything else that's niggling you, any signs and symptoms of inflammation. Get yourself well first. And um, I think also just getting yourself into a good place mentally and emotionally, getting connected to those needs, those values, those desires, that the bigger vision you have for your life, because you need that sort of guiding star and you want to know the values that are your compass to get you to where you want to go. Bearing in mind that these things do shift and change when we have significant life experiences and giving birth would definitely be one of the top ones on that list. But I think sometimes it can be easy to feel a little bit lost. At least this is the the feedback I get from the mums that I work with is this idea of feeling lost, lost of their identity, lost of self. And so just knowing yourself a little bit better before you go into this process um, can be super helpful. And then remembering that when you you are making a baby and growing a whole new organ, as we learned about today in terms of the placenta, all your nutritional resources get prioritized to that process. So basically your baby is like a little parasite (laughs) sucking all the nourishment out of you. I think I I seem to even remember from hearing somewhere recently, even like the calcium from your teeth. So you kind of just want to make sure that although you've got those good nutritional foundations in place and you're you're giving your body all the nutrients that, that it needs in a very loving and nourishing way. And then you have that team to back you up afterwards to help put those nutritional resources back into your body again as well. Yeah, I love that. I just wanted to end on a funny note, <laughs> talking about this mineral depletion that can sometimes happen in a pregnant body. And some women get these really strange cravings because of this mineral depletion and this, you know, these vitamins that they are really like needing that they need to somehow meet. And one of the women on our training was telling us about, I can't remember if it was a cousin or a friend or a colleague, but someone that she knew was pregnant and she had this craving for paper and she came home and she ate all of her Harry Potter books. (laughs) That's hilarious. So (laughs) if you are pregnant and you are currently drooling over your Harry Potter collection, then know that you are not alone. (laughs) Have a nibble. (laughs) But really the key of that is to find out what minerals you are depleted in and then support those in a more optimal way. Yeah. And especially something to be aware of is women having two babies quite close to one another. So like having the first one and then going into having the second one, you really want to make sure you're getting topping up on some of those important nutrients because that that also just increases your chances of just resilience and also any postpartum depression or anything like that. It can buffer against. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. As always, if you have any questions or you want to clarify something further, feel free to get in touch with Anna or I. Anna is at Anna Marsh Nutrition on Instagram. I'm Indie Yoga Life and you can always have a little chat to us. We'd love to hear what you think. So thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram.
You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week. Hi, it's Shay here. Take a moment right now to reflect on how you measure a successful day for yourself. For a long time, I measured the success of my day based on the number of Instagram likes or followers I gained, the money I made, or the amount of love or praise I received. Whilst these are wonderful things to desire, using them as a metric of success left me feeling really depleted. It was only after some honest soul searching that I've truly shifted my metrics so that now I define my success on whether I'm able to answer yes to the following three questions. Have I moved my body today? Have I breathed or sat in stillness today? Have I created something today? Move, breathe, create. When I focus on these as measures of a successful day, I am able to really slow down, get out of the busyness of my head, back into my body, and manifest things from a really authentic place. What's even crazier is that when I focus on these three things, all the other shiny pennies, the money, the praise, the followers, the likes, they all flow into my life with such ease as a result of me being in an energized, calm, creative, and aligned state. It's completely changed my outlook on life, and it's made me a much happier person. I really want to share all my tools with you so that you too can manifest the things you want in your life from this energized, calm, creative, and aligned state and feel really happy whilst doing it. Come and join me at movebreathecreate.com where you will find ways to energize your body and calm your mind along with creative tutorials and techniques to get you into that creative manifesting state. Most yoga studio monthly memberships cost upwards of £100 a month and you can join me over at movebreathecreate.com where you can find not only yoga practices and tutorials but also workbook downloads, community, meditations, soul work, journal ideas, creative prompts, and inspiration, all for less than £10 a month. It's like your own personal yoga retreat space. Come connect back to your body, mind, and soul with me at movebreathecreate.com. I look forward to seeing you inside of the community.